grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The world is changing all around us. In our day, there's so much confusion and restlessness and upheaval. Our society is becoming increasingly polarized. Customs and traditions are being put by the wayside. In fact, in every realm of human activity, whether it's social or political or scientific, even industrial, we see so much instability that leaves many without hope, any hope of permanence and rest. And despite these changes, though, there are some things that never do change. Our needs for our own physical bodies remain the same. Our need for healthy food and adequate shelter and good clothing along with the human need for family and for community, friends, and for structure to supply for our bodily needs. The needs of the soul also remain the same, for we are all born infected with the sin of Adam, a sin that is so great that Adam was banished from the Garden of Eden, from paradise, if you will, and he was cursed with hard labor, with ground that will not produce perfectly, and the wages of his sin, which is death. Because we have also inherited that sin of Adam, we are born blind, dead, and enemies of God, and that is our natural fallen state. So then the question arises, if this is who we now are as a result of our sinfulness and the inherited sin of Adam, to quote the hymn, the hymn writer, we'll, hear, we'll sing this hymn as our first communion hymn today, O Lord, how shall I meet you? How welcome you aright. Since, Lord, we are sinners, how can we receive you? Since we are born as your enemies, how, Lord, can we come into your presence? Today is... New Year's Day for the church. It is the beginning of the new church year. The church year always begins four Sundays before Christmas. And during these four weeks known as Advent, the church focuses on meeting the Lord, how the Lord comes to us. And in the middle of today's gospel, Matthew quotes the prophet Zechariah, writing, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Zechariah was actually summarizing Isaiah when he writes this. Matthew, quoting Zechariah, Say to the daughter of Zion, Say to the church, the Christian church, Behold, your king is is coming to you. Not in great pomp and circumstance as a king normally would, but instead humble and mounted on a beast of burden, a donkey. What this passage also teaches us is that we are not the ones who go out and find God. So many believe that the way to God is to search him out, to look high and low, to dwell within, and then they will somehow meet God. Instead, though, from the Old Testament and the New, we hear that Christ, our King, 
comes to us. This is especially made clear through the practice of infant baptism, that God searches out the sinner who has inherited the sin of Adam and adds the sinner to his family, yet while that sinner was unable to do a thing when a baby is baptized into Christ. Sinners cannot come into the presence of God, however, and live. Therefore, sinners must be reconciled to God. That is, their sin must be canceled out and amends must be made for their sin in order to come into the presence of God, the King who comes to us. Despite the many changes going on in our world, our need for reconciliation with God does not change, along with our need for someone outside of us to come and save us. And so the hymn writer asks the excellent question at the beginning of the church year, O Lord, how shall I meet you? That hymn writer is also a pastor. His name is Paul Gerhardt. He lived in what we would know as the eastern part of Germany today. He lived during the 1600s. And this hymn that I've quoted now twice is the hymn that we are focusing on this Advent for our hymn of the season. This hymn was written based on today's gospel, our Lord's, our Lord's entry into Jerusalem as a king who comes humbly to save, as the people sing their hosannas to him, recognizing Jesus as the Savior. Paul Gerhardt, this hymn writer, is considered to be one of the greatest hymn writers ever. While some wrote far more hymns than he did, most do not match his simplicity, his eloquence, his solid theology, and the deep words, despite the the simpleness of his language. As with many translated hymns, though, the simplicity and beauty of his hymns, which were originally written in German, they're often hidden in in the English language. Gerhardt wrote 133 hymns during his difficult life. He was orphaned at the age of 14. The high school that he was attending almost closed due to the plague. He lived much of his life in poverty. When he married at the age of 44, over the course of the next several years, he found himself bearing four out of five of his children, along with his wife, Only one son lived to bury Gerhardt, and that boy was orphaned when Gerhardt died when the boy was 15 years old. Gerhardt often had had difficulty finding work, even though he was a pastor, in part because of the 30 years war which had ravaged Germany. When Gerhardt was ordained into the holy ministry, he made the same promise that Missouri Synod pastors make today and that is to uphold the entire Bible as the word of God, as God's inspired word, and to confess the book of Concord as a true exposition of the word of God. Especially important for Gerhardt was the formula of Concord. But for Gerhardt, the government issued an edict declaring that Lutherans must not speak against the false teachings of the Reformed. And since Gerhardt was bound to the word of God and to the Lutheran confessions, He could not abide by the edict, nor could he approve of the false teachings that the Reformed held to. As a result, Gerhardt was forced out of his office, and this had happened after he had lost three of his five children. A fourth and his wife would soon become seriously ill and die thereafter. Usually the best hymns produced by the church come out of times of serious affliction and trial. This was certainly true for Luther, 
and, and it was true for Gerhardt. Luther wrote most of his hymns during the 1520s after a papal bull demanded his arrest and execution. Gerhardt, while he may have survived the Thirty Years' War, endured much affliction. In fact, when Gerhardt arrived to serve, a, to serve in Wittenberg, at, both as a student and as a tutor, the devastating effects of the war had reduced the population of that city by 75%. Why all this suffering? There are a few reasons. As taught in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve had sinned, they brought the entire world into sin. And God declared to Adam, Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Life here on earth will not be easy. It wasn't easy for the saints who have gone before us. It isn't promised to be easy today, nor is it promised to ever be easy. We live in a fallen world, a world that is now corrupt by sin. Gerhardt touched on that reality in stanza three. If you want to follow along, it's the first communion hymn in your bulletin. I lay in fetters groaning, you came to set me free. I stood my shame bemoaning, you came to honor me. A glorious crown you gave me, a treasure safe on high, that will not fail or leave me as earthly riches fly. Gerhardt described our sin as something that keeps us in fetters. Many people want to assert that they somehow have a freedom of their will when it comes to matters of the soul. But our sin had kept us in fetters. That is, our sin had kept us chained up, enslaving us. Our sin is harmful. It's, it's, it's in fact, shameful. And there's nothing good about our sin, as much as people often want to make light of it and joke about it. Also in Genesis 3, God's word reports that Adam and Eve were originally naked. They could be because they were without sin. They had no shame. They had nothing to hide. They could be open books to one another. They, but when they ate of that forbidden fruit, their eyes were now open. They realized that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves to serve as some sort of feeble attempt to cover themselves up. For they now had something to hide. They needed to be covered. In the same token, our sin is like in that shame of nakedness. Our sin exposes who we really are, how weak we are, how corrupt we are, and our sin needs to be covered. And that's precisely why our Lord is the one who comes to us, as opposed to us seeking out and finding some sort of divine figure. That's why God comes to us and has a name. That's why Jesus is our king. He comes to us and meets us, and he sets us free from our shackles, he comes and reconciles us, forgives us, and grants us a treasure that will never fail us. He will never forsake us, for he has come to be our Lord and King, to, be our, to rule us, and to do so in grace and mercy. Jesus comes to cover and us and clothe us with his very blood and righteousness, so that when we are clothed in the very righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are no longer naked. We are no longer covered in shame. We are no longer chained to our sin. But we are completely set free. We are alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. As our Lord rode into Jerusalem in his first coming, the people greeted Jesus with those shouts of Hosanna, meaning save us now. Jesus rode into Jerusalem lowly on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. 
In our day, we keep on singing our hosannas. We do so Sunday after Sunday because Christ keeps on meeting us, making his entrance among us, just as he has through his word as he has made his entrance among us in this new church year. He continues to make his entrance among us as we receive his body and his blood and bestows upon us his gifts. And so as we celebrate the sacrament, we sing that Sanctus. We continue to sing our hosannas to Jesus as he makes his entrance among us in the sacrament. If you think about it, it really is comforting to sing that Sanctus, this time, these timeless words in our ever so changing world, to sing our hosannas as the saints did when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Gerhardt began his hymn by asking the question, O Lord, how shall I meet you? How welcome you aright? Your people long to greet you, my hope, my heart's delight. O kindle, Lord most holy, your lamp within my breast, to do in spirit lowly all that may please you best. So how do we meet Jesus when he comes to us? Because he's sinless and we're the sinners. We're the ones in need and he's the one who has come to help. We're the ones who are ashamed of our sin and he's the one who will come to cover us. We pray that God would kindle in us hearts and souls that will hear him and do as he teaches, that we may live as his redeemed and be covered in the righteousness of God. This righteousness comes from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for as the prophet Jeremiah declared, he is the Lord our righteousness, who now calls us his righteousness. He laid down his life for us. That's why Jesus, as a servant, but yet our king, rode into Jerusalem to die, to, to shed his innocent blood as the ransom payment for our sin. And so we meet him as sinners, but he meets us as forgiven children of God. Considering the procession of Jesus into Jerusalem, stanza two says, your Zion strews before you green boughs and fairest palms, and I too will adore you with joyous songs and psalms. My heart shall ever, shall bloom forever for you with praises new, and from your name shall never withhold the honor due. With our Lord making his entrance among us, how can we not but meet him with great joy? How can we not but desire to adore and honor our Lord and Savior? How can we not but want to sing our praises for all the benefits that our Lord offers? Our Lord does not make his entrance among us in a hopeless or helpless way as the world seems to be around us but he does so accomplishing his will. When Gerhardt suffered, he realized that God had not abandoned him, but that God was still with him. For it is written, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And it is also written, all things work for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. We would not have these beautiful hymns by Gerhardt had he not endured the afflictions by which he had been afflicted. And so we thank God for the, for the way that God has worked all things for good, even for our good. God has never promised that life here on earth would be easy, but, but we are guaranteed thorns and thistles, sweat and sorrow. And more than that, God has promised to send his son, the savior of the nations, the Messiah who would defeat the devil, 
replace our sin with his righteousness, and swallow up death and victory. God fulfilled that promise, and he promises to send his son to you today through word and sacrament, and he promises to send you his son again on the last day, in which you will be ushered into his eternal kingdom, in which you will be made whole and complete, in which there will be no longer any form of death or tears or sorrow. It will be replaced with all that is good when Christ returns and ushers in his new kingdom. Jesus came making his entrance into the world. He rode into Jerusalem humbly as a servant to die in our place and grant us life. He lives so that we can now live in him. Death has been swallowed up in victory because Jesus lives. And so Christ comes to us today. How do we meet him? We meet him in joy, praising him and blessing him for all that he does for us, receiving what he loves to offer to us, the forgiveness of sins, his very righteousness, and his peace. And he will someday take us from this veil of sorrows to himself in heaven. So how do we meet him? Again, with great joy, knowing that he comes to us humbly in the flesh to be our Savior. Thanks be to God. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. Mm -hmm.